My name is James. I am located in Denver. My wife and I, uh, we moved to Denver this summer, and we have two boys, Braxton and Grayson. Uh, Braxton is nine, and Grayson is seven. And we recently had the opportunity to come visit and hang out with y'all, and it was a blast. It, it was a little weird because, you know, I showed up here, and Pastor Doug was conveniently out of town the first time I showed up. And then this time I come to town, and Doug, Ryan, and Ethan are all gone. So the message I get is, they don't like me, but they force me on you. Okay, I'm sorry. This is what you get today. Um, but we've been in this series, Alive and Free, for the last 93 weeks. And it's been, whew. I told, look, real talk, I told them the other day, I was like, guys, it's hard because I have like ADD and 4K. Like, I'm like extreme ADD. And the fact that y'all have like done this series more than four weeks, like if you go to six, that's a stress for me. And usually in a series like this, I just get bored. I'm like, I am alive and free, sir. Thank you. We're done, you know. But every single week out in the lobby, I'm hearing stories. And recently, Doug was in Denver, and he was doing his message on drug of choice. And I'll never forget this dude came up to me, and he goes, hey, I got to tell you, this weekend, for the first time in my life, I actually feel alive, and I think I might actually be free. Like, that's the power of what God's doing here at Red Rocks every single week. And so I know we've been in a series, and it's been a little bit long, but I'm going to bring the old verse right back out. John 10, 10, we taught it every single week. It says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I told you last time, like, I'm a little holy and a whole lot of hood, right? And so I can wake up every single day reading the first half of this verse and just get really excited. I'm like, okay, what you got today? What do you got today for me, devil? I'm ready for you, you know? I just want to know, like, what's your strategy? How are you going to steal, kill, and destroy me? My personality type is I want to focus so much on the problem. I just want to know what's the attack. Where's it coming from? Who is it? Is it the seven-year-old today? Cancel you right now, right? I don't know. But my propensity is to look at the problem and miss the whole promise on the backside of the passage. See, yeah, the enemy comes to still kill and destroy us. But if we live a life focused on fear, our life will flow in the direction of our focus. But there's a part of that passage that gives so much promise and hope. It says, but Jesus came to give us life and life to the all right, my bad. So when I was growing up in church and the pastor would pause, that was your opportunity to talk. Okay, let's try it again, Red Rocks. I was okay. So hey, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the? Okay, now we have in church. Okay, so life to the full. Now, because I'm from Alabama, I actually know full. Because y'all think y'all are in the South, y'all are not South. Like, Red Rocks, Austin, I need y'all to know, Austin is the Seattle of the South. Y'all are transplanted, right? More y'all from California and Seattle than you are Texas, okay? But for real, like, I'm from, like, like south, like Alabama, right? Like, you can't even understand what my great aunt wanted to say to you. She's like, hey, baby, what you doing? You're like, what? Need a translator. But there's one time a year, every single year, that you get full, full, right? It's when you go to Nana's house at Thanksgiving. Oh, come on. Some of y'all grown like you know, okay? I'm talking about you get, like, potato salad with the mustard and the dill in it. Trust me. Um, deviled eggs. Mac and cheese, collard greens, mashed potatoes, hams, yams, potatoes, tomatoes. I mean, you get like chicken, turkey, chicken, turkey. No, but you get deep fried turkey. Y'all know nothing about that. Like you get all of this and you think, man, I'm full. But then Nana comes out with warm sweet potato pie. My goodness, you always got room for that, right? At this point, you're like, I'm full, full, right? 
Now, to get away from the redneck definition of full and give you what the word actually means, when Jesus said, I came to give you life to the full, it wasn't just to pack your schedule or make you busy. It was to make you blessed. This word full actually means uncommon or extraordinary. Now, that's important for us to understand what Jesus actually came to give us. Because otherwise, based on the season of life that we're in, we may go, ah, I don't really want the uncommon life. I just want a peaceful life. Like, if you've been really fighting to get alive and free, you go, man, I, I finally feel good. And because I feel good, I'm good. I actually don't, I don't want the uncommon, Lord. He's like, no, no, no. I came to conquer the still, kill, and destroy by giving you the uncommon. But the uncommon is not easy. And this weekend, I want to talk to us because I think it would be easy for us to center ourselves in the gospel instead of allowing Jesus to be the center of the gospel. Like to get alive and free, if we're not careful, over the last, you know, 92 weeks, you've been getting alive and free and you go, man, I feel really good. I conquered that addiction. I conquered that anger. I'm no longer trying to be perfect. I'm not comparing myself. And you feel really good about you. But in this series, if you get alive and free and nobody else around you gets alive and free, we have missed the purpose of the passage. It's never just so I can feel better. It's so I can live an uncommon life. If you're here this weekend and you're kicking the tires of faith, you're new to church, I want you to know this weekend that our hope is this, is that you would find a God who loves you so much that he came to give you a life that you could never ask, think, or imagine. Like it's so much greater. But I also want you to know this. The people that are in this room, they're not perfect, but they're pursuing a perfect God. And the plan that God has for them will lead them to a life that they never asked, thought, or imagined. And why is that hard for us to digest? Because honestly, we're built for comfort. Like, we love comfortability. When we got ready to move from Florida to Denver, went to my wife, and I was like, hey, babe, I got one non-negotiable. She said, you got a what? I said, I have one request. <laughs> one petition that I would lay before thee. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Look, she's Cajun. I do not play, right? And so my one request was this. Is I was like, babe, we've been married over 13 years. We got the same bed, the same mattress. And, and here's the issue. Is this thing so worn out? It's like the shape of a V now, right? It's like there's no sleeping in. You just roll together. And every time she gets out of bed to go to the bathroom, I wake up. I'm like, this is miserable. Let's go get a mattress. She's like, well, babe, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to go to the mall and try on mattresses. She's like, you want to what? I was like, I want to go to the mall. I'm going to try them out. So I did. I went to the mall. I wore some clean clothes. And I got in there. And I was like, I'm trying on mattresses today. I went in and just made myself at home. I laid on one. I was like, it's too firm. <laughs> I laid on another. I was like, it's too soft. It's like the three bears story. And, but I did find one mattress. I was like, man, this thing is built for pastors. I know it is. Because you lay in it, right? And then, like, I always think of Easter because you hit one button and you rise from the dead, right? I was like, this, babe, this is built for me. And she's like, it's not in your budget. I was like, okay. But the thing about a mattress is, like, you really want it to be comfortable because you want to lay in comfort. But the tactic and strategy of the enemy is to get you to try and live in comfort. See, if you try to live in comfort, you will miss the uncommon because the uncommon is never comfortable. Otherwise, everyone would do it. So this weekend, I came to preach a very uncomfortable message at Red Rocks Austin on killing comfort. Killing comfort. Listen, we are built for comfort in every area of our society. Like, we wear athleisure wear for work. <laughs> like, some of y'all are in your 20s and you're wearing Skechers because they feel nice, right? You know, it's like we love comfort, comfort foods. 
And there's a lot of things that we go like, okay, yeah, you know, like pillows and clothes. But can I tell you one of the areas that we have the biggest propensity to live into the area of comfort with? Relationships. Oh, you wanna know why? Because we had enough of them go bad that now we just wanna find some that are common. You got common ground, so you have common relationships that feel really comfortable. Friend group looks like me, talks like me, acts like me, votes like me, spends their money like me, earns the money like me. We're in the same tax bracket, so it's just comfortable. Quick rabbit trail. If you're not careful, you'll actually date for comfort too. You're like, I'll date somebody that I know won't hurt me like the last person did. Don't lower your standards just because the last person broke those. I'll date for comfortability. Build my relationships for comfortability. What are the areas of comfort? Okay, it's not like you can test out the mattress of a comfortable relationship, right? It's not like pillow top or firm, right? Here's what you do. It's chemistry. Chemistry, right? Do you like what I like? Do we have an affection and attraction? Do we have chemistry? But if my relationship's built on chemistry, if my friendships are built on chemistry, then what happens when the chemistry changes? If the chemistry changes and the relationship breaks, then it wasn't built on anything solid. Well, if it's not chemistry, it's history. Right? I mean, growing up, we had that phrase, it was like, no new friends. Where you at? Come on, I like you, all right. <laughs> you and I today, we have a church, all right. No new friends, right? No new friends, but here's the issue with no new friends. If I only have the friends of my past, I never have relationships that are built for my future. Jesus' life was lived in uncommon, uncomfortable relationships. The scripture says in Romans that while we were still sinners, opponents of God, Christ died for us. That's uncomfortable. All throughout his ministry, he was accused and they would assassinate his character by saying things like in, in Luke uh, chapter 7, I think it's verse 34, they said this, said that he was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. All right, pause on this. Tax collectors, it's not like dudes hanging out with the IRS, right? This is not like accountants. A tax collector in that day, in that time, in that context would have been someone from the Jewish community who would act on behalf of the occupying government, the Roman Empire, and they would tax their own people, but then they would put an added tax for their own pocket on their own people. These were notorious sinners, but yet Jesus is known as a friend to them? You mean Jesus didn't build his relationships off chemistry or history? You go, well, James, that's, that's Jesus, that's not me. Oh, good news, if you're a follower of Jesus, he called us to live the same life. In Matthew chapter 28, he gives us what is known as the Great Commission. He says this. He said that then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, this is like one of those barrier biblical words where we read it and we nod our head in church and then we get in our car and we're like, what is that again? Like, what does that mean, right? A disciple, I'm not a disciple maker. Like, I'm not even a coffee maker. I'm definitely not a disciple maker, right? I don't, I don't have time to do that. I don't have a degree in that. Discipleship, like, can I break that down and just give us like some handles for that today? It's this, it's where my passion gets purpose. Where what I'm passionate about gets some purpose enough that I leave that passion in other people. We disciple people and stuff all the time. Last night, I discipled eight people to go to Velvet Taco. Like, it is, look, if you don't like it, we're not friends, I don't care, right? But Velvet Taco is amazing. I, I did make the mistake and go from three tacos to four last night. Pray for me. Um, 
But, like, we disciple people and stuff all the time. Right now, there's a guy who I guarantee you've heard his name. Whether you like sports or not, you know about him because his passion got some purpose. One of the greatest disciples. He's discipling the entire country, parts of the world right now. Deion Sanders, prime, right? Before Deion Sanders, catch this, people in Colorado didn't like Colorado football. Deion Sanders comes to Colorado, and he's so passionate about Colorado football. People in Colorado and the entire country are watching games and going, wow, I never knew Colorado was so good. They weren't, right? Passion got purpose. Here's what I'm saying. For a follower of Jesus this weekend, the scrappy, uncomfortable message, to be called to be uncomfortable is saying, I'm willing to let the passion that I have for God get some purpose in some other people. Oh, it's uncomfortable but it's also the command that he gave us. It goes on and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus gives this command. In between these moments of Jesus living an uncomfortable life, an uncommon life of relationships, drawing near to people that other people thought he shouldn't be close to, and then rising from the dead after paying the ultimate price for you and I, in our reconciled relationship with God, it says that he commands us to go live an uncommon, uncomfortable life full of relationships, all nations, different people groups, different occupations, different tax brackets, different educations. I would go into these uncommon places and live an uncomfortable life. So today, what I want us to look at is how to be called to the uncomfortable. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is doing what he's always done. He's hanging out at a dinner party. He's hanging out with these people, and there's Pharisees. These are teachers of the law. They would every day wake up and keep hundreds of laws, right? It was their life to do the right thing, but in doing the right things, they miss the right person. Pharisees are there, tax collectors, we already talked about them, they're notorious, and then sinners. So this is like the most awkward dinner party you could ever imagine, right? And Jesus isn't setting people at separate tables. He gets one table, he sits with them, and he begins to eat. It says the Pharisees of the law have something to say about it. It said this in Luke 15, verse 1. It says, and the Pharisees muttered to themselves. I, I love that word, muttered. Like, they weren't even bold with their criticism. They just, like, yeah, there he goes again. He's just doing his thing. It says, but they muttered unto themselves. Next verse. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, we read that and go, he's just having dinner. No, no, no. This is an accusation about the context of Jesus' character. They're saying there's no way he's a holy God if he's hanging out with these people. But Jesus knew something about the power of the Spirit of God that lived in him, that the Spirit of God in him was greater than the surroundings around him. And so what did Jesus do? He didn't try to fight with them or argue with them. He didn't shame them. It says in verse 3 that Jesus told them a parable. Okay? I want to break down this word parable. It's simply this. It is a truth that is so deep and profound, we as human beings can only understand it in story form. It's a truth so deep and profound, we need a story to wrap our minds and our hearts to allow it to actually get into our soul. So Jesus begins to tell him this parable, and this parable, I believe, will be the precipice today to move us through and to help us begin to live the uncommon, uncomfortable life. The first point is this, is care to count. Care to count. It says in verse 4, Jesus starts this parable, and he says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep. Now, I know that's difficult for some of you city folk, okay? But suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Wouldn't he leave the 99 and search for the lost one until he finds it? I love it. It happens every time I read this verse. People go, yep, uh-huh. 
Of course we would. Yeah, you would leave the 99. No, you wouldn't. You're lying. And every time you lie in church, a unicorn dies. So stop, okay? Like, you go, no, James, I would leave the 99 for the one. No, you wouldn't. I know this because in, academically, you know, if I got a 79, I was like, praise you, Jesus. Like, I'm so excited. I don't even care about the other 24 points, you know? <laughs> Alabama math. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think about the one. You wouldn't either. Listen, most of us, we would be happy with the 99. We'd be like, man, I, I still got 99 problems, and I'm not worried about that one, you know? You're fine. Most of us go, 99's good. I say, A plus, I'm happy. I still got 99. Care enough to count. Most of us, if we look at our relationships, did an inventory of our friendships. And I'm not talking about followers. I'm not talking about, oh, James, I actually counted this morning. I have 5,437 friends on Facebook. No, no, no. I'm talking about real relationships that know you and you know them. I'm talking about where you have a sphere of influence. Like what's the, the average American I think has four to six friends? What does that circle look like for you? The people who know you intimately. They know what you struggle with, what you doubt, what you fear, what you face. Those relationships that you care to count. Well, James, that's easy. I can, I can count those people. No, you gotta understand the way the shepherd counts is different because the way the shepherd cares is different. What Jesus is calling us to do is care in such a way that actually counts people. Counts people. Meaning I, I allow you to have human dignity and worth despite human problems. Like we can actually not see eye to eye and still walk hand in hand. We can still have a relationship even though there's difficulty, there's problems. See, a shepherd goes, okay, we lost the sheep, now I've gotta go find it. Do we care enough that way? Most of us wanna know, well, James, tell me about the sheep. Like I wanna know what is the sheep's name, what is the story, Jesus doesn't give us that, right? But I will. Let's call that sheep's name Larry. Larry the lamb. Makes sense, because Mary had a little lamb, and the little lamb's name was Larry. Appreciate y'all, okay. Most of y'all want to know, like, okay, James, you got to tell me if the sheep wandered off, was the sheep good or was the sheep bad? You want to know. <laughs> Bro, you're so mad that you laughed at that. You were mad at yourself right now, not me. That you're mad at yourself. You're like, I did not laugh at that. It's not funny. Um, but we want to know, because, catch this, I want to judge the other person based on how everybody else judged me. I want to know whether or not I should search for that person because nobody searched for me. I want to know, is it worth it? Is it worth it because the last time that, that I had an issue with somebody, they, they counted me out. See, I'm not just talking about counting numerically. Can we as Jesus people be counted on to count people in when everybody else would count them out? That's hard to do. You know why? Because we have past pain and trauma. Because I was rejected in my past, I have a fear that I'll be rejected in my future. And now, I don't know if I can give love because I'm questioning whether or not I actually received love. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about Larry the Lamb. Like, how did he get there? Did he wander off? Did he choose to leave? What if it doesn't matter? See, nothing is missing from the story. Jesus doesn't give us context for the sheep because it doesn't matter. Why? Because the posture of a, sheep's, a shepherd's heart is never compared to the condition of the sheep. The shepherd's heart goes, it doesn't matter what happened. A sheep in that day and time would have been known as a really dumb animal. And some of you are like, oh, wait, I do have those friends, right? Like, it would, it would have just wandered off. But because the shepherd knew what the sheep had a propensity to do, 
The shepherd didn't get mad or condemn it, had compassion on it. All throughout the scriptures, you would see Jesus say things like, he saw the sheep and they were scattered like without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. And so Jesus is saying, yeah, wouldn't he count enough to notice that the other sheep's not there? Do we have this moment this week to go, I'm gonna count. I'm gonna look at the person who's not responding in the group text. I'm gonna look at the person who didn't show up to the event or the party. I'm gonna look to the person who's not showing up to our group anymore. Hey, is everything okay? Everything's good. As soon as somebody tells you everything's good, you know everything's not good, right? I'm gonna choose to count them in. There's a lot of reasons we count people out in our society. Based on their performance is probably the biggest one. Do they perform up to my expectations? See, a shepherd has low expectations of the sheep. What would it like for us to go, okay, I know you messed up again, I know you said that thing, but I still care enough about you to count you in. And here's the reason why. If you're a Jesus person, you have received great love. Whether you got it in human form on this planet or not, I am not responsible to just give the love I've been given by other people. I'm responsible to give the love I've been given by my creator which was an unconditional, everlasting, not based on my performance love. It was based on his presence. So what would it like for me to draw close enough to care about them to count? You, you can't care about people you're not close to, though. You gotta ask yourself this weekend, is my heart still beat for people? Are people the priority? Do I have enough proximity to people to actually care? Okay, care to count. Number two is this, chase to connect. Chase to connect. It said, suppose one of you has 100 sheep, and one of them wanders off, wouldn't he leave the 99 in open country and search for the lost sheep until he finds it, right? Now, this is interesting because Jesus is painting a picture here for the, the searching and the compassion. The, the proof of our passion for God is often found in our pursuit for other people. Like, am I pursuing other people with this passion? If I'm like, God, I love you so much, but I hate people, because he so loved people, he sent his son so I could receive that love. And it wasn't based on how good I was. No, I was never good enough. Search until he finds it. Larry the lamb wanders off. You gotta ask, like, where did Jesus go? How much did he search? It says he would leave the other sheep in open country and keep searching until he finds it. I told you earlier, we have two sons, Braxton and Grayson. Braxton who's nine and Grayson who's seven. And several years ago, we were throwing this barbecue on a holiday weekend in Alabama. There's a ton of people over at this house, and we're all hanging out, and I, I look around, and I can't find my youngest son, Grayson. He, he's gotta be like three at the time. I don't see him anywhere, so I did what any good father would do. I went in the house, and I asked my wife. I said, hey, baby, have you seen Grayson? <laughs> and you know what she said to me? She said, no, he's with you. And I said, no, I know. I was just checking, right? Um, <laughs> man, I started, like, whisper searching. <laughs> I'm like, Grayson... G-Baby, <laughs> Gray the Tank, you know. I do that little whisper search for like three or four minutes, but then anybody who's ever been in charge of a young child, you know your heart starts beating a little bit quicker, your mind starts racing, worst case scenario, like fight, flight, all the sensory starts going into effect. So I asked my buddy Drew, I'm like, Drew, you seen Grayson? He's like, Brian, I ain't seen him in like a hot minute. He's like, where is he? I was like, hey, apparently he's with me, but I have not seen him either, right? <laughs> so we start searching like a couple minutes go by, I start getting the whole house together. I'm like, y'all, we got to look for my son. I get Britt involved, and I'm like, babe, I, I don't know where he is. And, you know, we had a discussion later about that. And, um, <laughs> like, we, we got to find him. Like, we're paying. I'm, I'm yelling at this point, y'all. I'm like, Grayson James Powell, where? I full named him. In the South, that's real bad, all right? 
I mean, I'm looking. We searched. Everybody in the house searched for 37 minutes. And we couldn't find him, so I have one son named Braxton. <laughs> so Chase to connect. All right. No, it's, it's funny because you laugh because you know that can't be the case because that would make me a bad father. Catch this. Why are we so comfortable being bad friends? You go, James, there's, no, 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 you couldn't do that. That would be wrong. But don't we have a responsibility as friends to still chase to find? Sometimes I search harder for my car keys than I do my relationships. I'm like, no, I'll just get another one. Like there's a friend store, right? Like, guys, it, it's the most scarce thing on the planet are real relationships, friendships. But we discard them as if we could just find another one. No. We search until he finds it. We kept searching for Grayson. I know some of y'all are like, well, did you find him? We, I said I got two sons. Come on. I never forget, we finally get out. We've looked all over the house, property, everywhere. There's this tiny house, literally it's like this big, and it's sitting in the middle of the driveway. I'm like, there's no way. And I search, I run over, I search, rip the roof off the house, and I look, and there's Grace on the inside going, hee. I was like, I love you so much, right? Held him and squeezed him real tight. Um, he was just being a kid. He's just being a kid. Couldn't be mad at him. He didn't know the rules. He didn't know my fear. He didn't know my trauma. He didn't know my pain. All he knew is he got found. Friends, there's some people in your relationships in your circle this weekend. I'm not saying it's easy. It's uncommon. It's uncomfortable. We got to keep searching. There's some internal barriers that we face. Fear of rejection. It's real. Fear of failure. Fear of being misunderstood. Fear of inadequacy, or what if I find them but I don't know how to fix it? Sometimes you gotta get close enough to the person to let Jesus just do his work, right? There's external barriers, I've already told you, politics, economics, education, disagreements. Our world offers us new disagreements and new divisions every single day. What would it like to search until we find, to keep looking, to keep searching, to keep going, no, I'm gonna have compassion enough then it moves me. Several years ago, we were pastoring in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle region. I'll never forget um, one of our youth leaders. She was incredible. Her and her husband had served with our youth team, and um, she had conquered an addiction, and she relapsed. And her husband comes to the house, our little apartment in Woodenville, Washington, and he tells us about it. And I was like, all right, we're going to pray. And before I know it, my Cajun wife grabs her keys, and she's leaving the house. And I was like, where are you going? I was like, we're going to pray. And she goes, you pray, I'm going to look. I was like, that's Jesus. She went, she knocked hotel rooms, and she searched different areas of the city that she knew where that person would be. Some of you know where some of the people actually are. I'm not talking about, listen, you can easily mail it in this week. You go, okay, I'm going to check the box on the message that the guy said. I'm going to call the person on Tuesday at 2 o'clock when I know they're at work. I'm going to let it ring once. Won't leave a voicemail. I looked, right? I did it. I did what you had. No, 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 no. I'm talking about some of you actually know, like, you have friends that are in recovery. Can I just? Can I ask you? week you got some relationships with some people who are relapsing nobody ever has a plan to relapse some of you know my story 
I never wanted to end up homeless. That was never in my plans. It was never sitting in kindergarten. What do you want to be when you grow up, right? Your friends, they don't have a plan to do this. This is the problems. This is the pain that we experience. And some of you know where your friends are, and I'm asking you, don't shame the lost sheep. Have enough compassion to go search for them until you find them. Go to the house. Go to the trap house. Go to the hotel room. Go to the casino. You know where they are. Go sit next to them on the bar so you know their family is a wreck because addiction has got them again. And you sit with them and go, I'll sit here until you realize I found you. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. And if he loved me that way, that's the way I got to love other people. I'm going to chase that connect. Care to count. Chase the connect. Number three, choose to celebrate. Choose to celebrate. Now, Jesus is the ultimate storyteller. He's been building this story to a climactic close, right? So he's talking about the lost sheep and how he's going to search for it and wouldn't you leave it? And all the people are like, yeah, not really, but we're tracking. And then he does this in verse number five. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Look at the place of dignity that he placed the lost sheep. On his shoulders. We don't get the full context of the story, but what we can know is this. The sheep has likely wandered off so far and for so long, it either doesn't have the capability or the energy to get back home. But a good shepherd says, I'll put you on my shoulders. What would it like for you this week to let your friends borrow some of your faith? You go, hey, you know what? This week, I know you don't have the faith to believe for that again. Borrow some of mine. What does that look like? It means share a little bit of the experience and a little bit of the thing you've been through so they can get through what they're going through. So he puts it on the shoulders. And then he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Time out. Let's put ourselves in that moment, right? Like, check back in. I promise you, brunch is close, okay? <laughs> Shepherd goes, hey, I found Larry. Hey, I found him. Larry was out in the ditch, picked him up, jumped back in the ditch, got him again on the shoulders. Look, Larry's muddy, but I got him, right? He's so excited. Everybody's like, yeah, Larry's back. This is so good. Okay, that's the picture Jesus paints. But you can't celebrate as a shepherd finding a lost sheep if you've been gossiping and lying and shaming the sheep to all your friends. Look, now, if you're new to church, you can check out for like 37 seconds. Church folk, we got to be careful that we don't forget where we got found and start shaming somebody halfway through their story. Listen, I'm so glad that people didn't mark me by the first part of my story. A first half of my story full of problems and pain is an incomplete story. Like, Scripture says this in the last half. It says, and we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb. That's a picture of Jesus' sacrifice bleeding out for you and I. And the word of our testimony, a testimony is where there has been a problem, but God's power meets it, and now there's purpose. I've got to get really comfortable that when I got, you know, Susie's going through it, <laughs> and she's a friend, and people are like, what's going on with Susie? I go, not my story to tell. No, 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 come on. Look at me. Not my story to tell. Why? Because it's an incomplete story. Where's DeAndre get? Not my story to tell. Where's Eric? Not my story to tell. Why? Because there will be a day. Hey, yo, Eric's with me. Because what you don't want to do, church folk, is you invite your friend to church, and you see your other church friend, and like, yo, how's that scuzz Eric doing? You're like, he's right here. Eric, meet my other friends, right? No. Don't share the story halfway through. 
Let them get a strong enough ending to share their story with completeness and with power so that they can have a little bit of purpose in their life. You got to choose to celebrate. He says, okay, you're going to throw it on your shoulders. And choose to celebrate. And then he, he drops the mic on all the religious folks. He says, I'll tell you in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The good people who miss the good person, he's talking to them too. He has this way of talking to everybody in one moment. Listen, this weekend, God's word, I believe, is speaking to all of us in our different areas, our different journeys, but he has the next step in front of us. He has this moment this weekend that we get called to the uncomfortable. Several weeks ago, I was driving my wife's Bronco to the Denver airport, and I was feeling really, uh, I, I say I'm funtry, I'm more funtry than country. I like to do all the fun country stuff, you know. I'm not like going to bail hay or anything, but I want to look like I do sometimes, all right? So like, I, I'm in the Bronco, and so I got the one hand on the wheel, you know, I'm big chilling. I'm like three clicks back, you know, I'm good. And I said, bro, I'm throwing some country music on, right? So I turn some country music on, and I start listening to this song by Tim McGraw. I hadn't really heard it. It has like a good beat. I'm feeling good. I'm like, yeah, I start rolling the windows down. I'm like, let some fresh air in. This is good, right? But it, it's got a fun tune. But then I start listening to the words, and it's this song called Standing Room Only. And, and the point of the song is this. I want to live my life in such a way that I'm such a good man that when I die, it's standing room only at my funeral. Y'all, I'm like this, and I'm like. God, I want to be a good man. You know, I'm like, all right, go on. I'm like wiping tears, and which are not shocked by, but I'm like, man, I'm like crying, and I'm boohoo, and I'm feeling real good about feeling real bad. Like, that's the beauty of a country song, right? And so I'm feeling like, like man, yeah, like one day, like, you know, same room only. All of a sudden, I felt like it was like God hip-checked me in the car. It was like, what are you talking about? I was like, whoa, God, hello, I'm having a moment. Tell like God said to me, not audibly, like just in my heart, said, James, why would you spend the rest of your life trying to pack a room where you'll never be when I gave you the great command to pack a room where you'll forever be? Yeah. Oh. Because you know who I thought about at my funeral? I thought about Drew. I thought about Eric. I thought about Kilo. I thought about Kyle. Dudes of my past that I missed a lot of opportunities out on sharing good news because I was too busy trying to be comfortable and blend in with everybody else. I don't want them to just be at my funeral. The mission statement of our church is make heaven more crowded. Make heaven more crowded. Can you put the points back up? See, y'all are all like, man, these are the only words this boy from Bama knows. Six C words. What is this, right? <laughs> Catch this. Care to count. We make heaven more crowded by, first of all, knowing God. When I know how God cares, I care like God cares. And I count people in because he counted me in. Number two, chase to connect. I live on purpose because my purpose is not tied to my paycheck. That's my career. My calling is to chase people down and give them the good news of Jesus. Number three, choose to celebrate. Let's go change the world. That's why every week we pack rooms out like this, 4, 6, and 9, 11, to throw a party with a purpose to remind people that God loves them and cares about them. I don't want to just pack my funeral home. I want to pack my forever home. I want to pack heaven out with Kilo and Eric. And De I want to push people over and go, hey, y'all got to scoot in. There comes DeAndre. There comes Ebony. There comes, uh, I want to tell all my friends, hey, y'all come with me. What if we had that passion this week? And I get it. That fear inside of us is going, ah, James, I don't know if I can do it. There's actually a stat I read a 
couple weeks ago, I said that 82% of people who don't go to church would go to church if a friend invited them. Many of you know that to be true. You're, you're here this weekend because somebody trusted you enough and trusted enough in this place to invite you to church, right? 82% of people, that is amazing. Only 2% of church people ever invite their friends. I didn't misquote it. Two. 2%, 98% of people don't. Why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. It's not bad. They're busy. They're burdened with fear or doubt. I went back to that great commission verse. Can I read it to you again? Matthew chapter 28, things verse 17. It says this. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some did what? Some what? Hold on. You mean the people that Jesus entrusted the entire mission of the church with, some of them doubted? Listen, discipleship is simply this. I'm going to get one step in front of you, and I'm going to stay there. Right? So, I'm going to be right here. You're growing in your faith. I'm going to take another step. I take a step. You take a step. When I move, you move. Just like that, right? So like, that's what we're, that's discipleship. I'm going to keep moving forward, but I'm going to bring you with me. You're like, James, I don't know enough. What do you know today? If all you know is that God loves you, that is enough. That is enough to lead people back to the heart of Jesus. Go with what you know and then grow in the go. Wait, that's too good. Hold on. Go with what you know and grow in the go. Sometimes I just grow in the go. I just, I keep growing. I keep showing up every weekend. I get in a group. I serve. I start a Bible app program, and I go, I'm going to keep growing. And as I grow, you're going to go with me. We got we to gotta choose this weekend, though, to do something about it. The barriers are real. The blockades are real. So we're going to do something about it. That's my question. It takes, it takes work. That's why I'm scrappy this weekend. I'm scrappy because I'm, I'm just a lost sheep that got found. And this weekend, the heart that I have to come to Austin is to say, please keep looking for lost sheep. Like, I'm still sitting out there in a Ford Explorer, and I'm begging somebody, would you come knock on my window? Like, I have a purpose. I know God has a plan, but I need somebody to chase me down and find me and to move back some barriers in my life. Several years ago, I heard this story. It's about in World War II, and four soldiers are fighting overseas, and they're in this country and foreign soil, and one of the soldiers sacrifices his life on the battlefield. The three other soldiers go, man, we're going to honor his life. We want to memorialize him. We want to give him this place where we give him dignity and respect. They search all over the countryside. They find this beautiful church. It's got a beautiful cemetery around it. It's walled off. And they went to the church. And they knock on the door of the church. And the church leader comes to the door. And they say, hey, we got our friend, somebody we really care about. We want to have a service for him, small service. We're going to come back one day with his family and friends and give him honor and memorialize him. The leader of the church said, I'm so sorry. Because your friend was a part of this church, this parish, he can't be buried inside the walls of our cemetery, but there's a beautiful place in the back wall. It's a small hill and a little tree. He'll be safe there. The guys were kind of reluctant, but it was the best that they felt like they could do, so they led him to the back wall of the cemetery. They get back there and they dig a grave, they have a small service, they pay their respects, and they travel home. Several years go by and they wanna pay their respects with family and friends and honor him. So they travel back to this country, they search the city, they find this country church, find the cemetery, go back to the back wall, they see the tree and they look everywhere and they cannot find their friend. Everywhere they look, they, they search all the walls, they walk all the way to the tree, 
He's nowhere to be found. They're freaking out. They go to the door of the church. They're banging on the door of the church. Same church leader comes to the door. and It's this moment where, like, you see each other and you recognize, you reflect, you remember. They said, where's our friend? You said he'd be safe here. You said he'd be okay. Church leader's eyes feel full of tears. He starts choking back his words through the tears in his eyes. They're running down his face. He said, on the night where you buried your friend, I tossed and turned in my bed all night. He said, I was restless. All night long, I thought about your friend being on the back wall. And I was like, man, I, I gotta do something about that. It's no fair that he's isolated and alone. Like, I have a God that I believe in that moved the walls of heaven to include me. He's an includer. So I got up that night, and brick by brick, I moved each wall until it was eight feet out until your friend was included in the cemetery. See, that's just a picture of the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. All the walls of my sin, my shame, my doubts, my unbelief. He moved back the walls and said, no, James, you're not counted out. You're counted in. He did it for me. He's done it for you. Now, Red Rocks Austin, it's time to move some walls this week. Move some walls and let's bring people in to the family so we can throw a party. So I got two challenges this weekend. The first one's this. You're a lost sheep this weekend. It's not about being good or bad. <laughs> Nobody in this room was let in because we were good or bad. We were all dead in sin. Christianity is not good or bad. It's dead or alive. I'm dead until I believe in Jesus and then I'm made alive in Christ. So today, whether you're good or bad, you need Jesus. And today, this family wants to throw a party and celebrate that you're coming home. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment, we're gonna close our eyes, we're gonna bow our heads, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. The second challenge I have is this. You say you're a Jesus person, let's not just talk about it, let's be about it. If we really are committed to this life of faith, it's not about how much I know, it's about how much love I've been given and how much love I can give away. This week, my challenge to you is share your faith this week. Listen, that is not, catch this, don't, don't do something dumb and blame it on me, all right? Don't put on a sandwich board, get a megaphone, go downtown and be like, God hates you. No, nobody ever fell in love with somebody they thought hated them. No, I'm not talking about leaving a little card on a, uh, like, where you should leave a tip. Leave a tip, be generous. Jesus' people are generous people, right? I'm not talking about doing that. No, no, I'm talking about your four to six friends, your relationships, trust them enough to give your faith away. You're still scared. Okay, I can feel it. All right, let me just prove it to you. We just got a new puppy. We have one puppy, a Frenchie named Kobe. We just got another puppy, a little girl named Shakira, Shaq, Kobe and Shaq. Come on, Lakers. You know what happens? I don't go up to somebody and go, hey, um, excuse me, sir. I would, uh, I'd like to show you something, but I don't, I don't want to offend you or oppress you in any way. I don't, I don't want this to be weird between us. I don't even know if you like dogs or anything. And, and maybe if you do, like, you could just tell me. Like, do you, do you like, are you okay with puppies? Is that a bad thing? Are you, I, don't, I don't give a whole a bunch of disclaimers. You know what I do if I have my picture of my puppy? If you want to see, I'll have it in the lobby after. Okay, and here's what I do. I, I, I go, dude, check out my new puppy, Shaq. And people go, oh, every single time. You didn't even, it was an really invisible picture. And you, oh, right? Why? Our friends who we love tend to love the things we love. All I'm asking you to do this week is go and show the love that you've been given and let them respond with the same love. I'm gonna ask you all of this room, would you close your eyes? Overflow, would you close your eyes just for a moment? 
I can't see you, but God can. In just a moment, we're all responding front to back, left to right, in the room, overflow, online, all of us. He said, James, this week, I've been lost. I want to be found. This weekend, Jesus finds you. He sees you. He loves you. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his. He lived the perfect life, died the death we deserve, so you can be raised to life in Christ. Today is the start of a brand new life. Your first step is just to say, yes, I'm going to follow him. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you, raise your hand. You feel it in your gut. It's time to make a decision. Are you ready? Right now, would you raise your hand? And I want to pray for you. I'm not going to stand you up. I'm not going to call you out. Yeah, I see you all the way in the back. I see you right here. Yep, I see you. I see. Come on. I see you. I see you. I see you. Come on, I see you. God sees you. Come on, hands are still going up. This is your moment. Yeah, I'm, I see you, man. Yeah, I see you, bro. Come on. Yeah, I see you, sis. Way to go. Come on, sir, I see you. Come on. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray in just a moment. You're here, and you're a Jesus person, and this weekend... I'm not saying it'll be easy. It will be uncomfortable. But Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to be a comforter so we could do the uncomfortable. This week, you have God's Spirit to give you comfort and courage. You said, James, this week I'm gonna share my faith with my friends. Would you pray for me? If that's you right now, would you lift your hand? And I wanna pray for you. I see you, I see you, I see you. Come on, yep. Come on, more than that, God sees you. This is a commitment, a decision. Come on, this is your moment. God, I thank you that you are here, that you are real, that your word is true, that your spirit is with us and for us today. For my friends who are believing for the first time, first time in a long time, I pray that they would lean in and trust the work of Jesus. As they trust and follow Jesus, they would never be the same. Their past is over. Their future is secure. I pray they would follow you. And for my friends that are Jesus people this week, I pray they would have courage and faith to live the uncomfortable, to kill comfort and live called, to live out the Great Commission. And as they do, God, we would make your home, heaven, more crowded with our friends, with our neighbors, with our loved ones. We would share the hope of heaven. I thank you for it. In the name above every name, in the name of my hope, my good shepherd, and my risen king, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.